Chapter 2 When you go out hunting wicked spirits, it's the simple things that matter most. The silvered point of your rapier flashing in the dark, the iron fillings scattered on the floor, the sealed canisters of best Greek fire ready as a last resort, the tea bags, brown and fresh and plentiful, and made for preference by Pitkin Brothers of Bond Street, are perhaps the simplest and best of all. Okay, they may not save your life like a sword tip or an iron circle can, and they haven't the protective power of a sudden wall of fire, but they do provide something just as vital. They help to keep you sane. It's never pleasant sitting in a haunted house, waiting in the dark. The night presses in around you, and the silent beats against your ears, and soon, if you're not careful, you start to see or hear things that are the products of your mind. In short, you need distractions. Each of us at Lockwood's has our preference. I do a bit of drawing, George has his comics, Lockwood reads the gossip magazines, but all of us like our tea and cookies. And that night in the Hope's house was no exception. We found the kitchen at the far end of the hall, just beyond the stairway. It was a nice enough room, neat and white and modern, and noticeably warmer than the hall. It had no supernatural traces of any kind. All was quiet, the knocking sound I'd heard was inaudible here, and there was no repeti repetition of the nasty bumping on the stairs. I got the kettle going, while Lockwood lit, up, lit an oil lamp and set it on the table. By its light, we took off our rapiers and work belts and laid them out before us. Our belts have seven separate clips and pouches. We went through these in silence, systematically checking the contacts while the kettle wheezed and huffed away. We'd already checked everything back in the office, but we were more than happy to do it again. A girl at Rotwell's had died the previous week after forgetting to restock her magnesium flares. Outside the wi window, the sun was gone. Faint clouds choked the blue-black sky, and mists had risen to engulf the garden. Beyond black hedges, light shone into other houses. They were near, but also distant, cut off from us like ships passing across deep water. We put the belts back on and I checked the Velcro fasteners around the rapiers. I fixed the tea and brought it to the table. Lockwood found the cookies. We sat together while the oil lamp flickered and shadows danced in the corners of the room. At last, Lockwood pulled the collar of his overcoat high around his neck. Let's see what Mrs. Hope has to say for herself, he said. He stretched out a long, thin hand for the folder lying on the table. Lamplight glimmered darkly in his flop of hair. As he read, I checked the thermometer clipped to my belt. 59 degrees. Not warm, but roughly what you'd expect from an unheated house this time of year. I took my notebook from another pouch and jotted down the room and temperature. I also recorded details of the aural phenomena, phenomena I had experienced in the hall. Lockwood tossed the folder aside. Well, that was useful. Really? No, I'm being ironic. Or is it sarcastic? I can never remember. Irony's clever, so you're probably being sarcastic. What's she say? Absolutely nothing of use, of any use. She might as well have written in Greek for all the, all the good it does us. Here's a summary. The Hopes have lived here for two years. Before that, they were down in Kent somewhere. She, lo she gives lot, lots of irrelevant details about how happy they were. Hardly any cur curfews, ghost lamps, almost never on. How you could go for a walk a late evening and meet only your living neighbors. That sort of thing. Don't believe a word of it myself. Kent had 
one of the biggest outbreaks of anywhere outside London, according to George. I sipped my tea. It's where the problem began, I thought. So they say, anyway, when, when then they moved here. All fine, no troubles in the house, no manifestations of any kind. Husband changed his job, started working from home. That's six months ago. Still nothing funny going on. Then he fell downstairs and died. Hold it, I said. How did he fall? Tripped, apparently. What I mean is, was he alone? According to Mrs. Hope, he was. She was in bed. It happened during the night. She says her husband was a bit distracted in the weeks before he died. Hadn't been sleeping well. She thinks he got up to get a drink of water. He grunted noncommittally. Right. Lockwood flashed me a glance. You think she pushed him? Not necessarily, but it would provide a motive for the hauntings, wouldn't it? Husbands don't normally haunt wives, except when there's a reason. Pity she didn't want to talk to us. I'd have liked to suss her out. Well, you can't always tell by looking, Lockwood said. He shrugged his narrow shoulders. Did I ever tell you about the time I met the notorious Harry Crisp? Sweet-faced man he was. Soft voice and twinkly-eyed. Good company, very plausible. He actually got me to lend him a ten. Yet it turned out in the end he was the most appalling murderer. Who liked nothing better than to... I held up a hand. You did tell me that, about a million times. Oh, well, the point is, Mr. Hope could be coming back for a host of other reasons that aren't to do with the ve with vengeance. Something left undone, for instance, a will he hasn't told his wife about, or some, some, some stash of money hidden under the bed. Yeah, maybe. So the disturbances began soon after his death? A week or two later, she was mostly away from the house up until then. When she'd moved back, she began to be aware of an unwelcome presence. He tapped the folder. Anyway, she doesn't describe it here. She says she gave a full account to our, her receptionist over the phone. I grinned. Receptionist? George wouldn't like that. Well, I've got his notes with me if you want to hear them. Go on, then, Lockwood sat back expectantly. What's she been seeing? George's notes were in an inside of pocket of my jacket. I took them out and unfolded them, smoothing, my, smoothing the paper on my knee. I scanned them bri briefly, cleared my throat. Are you ready? Yes. A moving shape. With, with great ceremony, I refolded the papers and put them away. Lockwood blinked in outrage. An outrage. A moving shape? That's it? No further details? Come on, it was it big, small, dark, or bright, or what? It was, and I quote, a moving shape that appeared in the back bedroom and followed me out across the landing. Word for word, that's what she told George. Lockwood dunked a forlorn cookie in his tea. Hardly the finest description of all time. I mean, you wouldn't want to try to sketch from it, would you? No, but she's an adult. What do you expect? It's never going to be any good. The sensations she had were are more revealing. It's never going to... to she, she said she felt as if something was looking for her. That it knew she was there, but couldn't find her. And the thought of it finding her was more than she could bear. Well, that's a little better. She sensed a purpose, which t suggests a type 2. 
But whatever the late Mr. Hope's up to, he's not the only one at work in this house tonight. There's us as well. So, what do you say? Shall we take a look around? I drained my mug, set it carefully on the table. I think that's a very good idea. For almost an hour, we toured the downstairs, briefly turning our, on our flashlight to check the contents of each room, but otherwise moving in near darkness. We left the oil lantern burning in the kitchen with candles, matches, and an, and an extra flashlight also on the table. It's a good rule to keep it a well-lit place to retreat to, well, to retreat to if the need arises, and having different forms of light is always advisable, in case the visitor has the ability to disrupt them. All was clear in the pantry and dining room at the rear of the house. They had a sad, musty, rather somber air, sense of life suspended. Neat piles of newspapers lay curling on the dining room table. In the scullery, a tray of shriveled onions sprouted quietly in the darkness, but Lockwood found no visual traces anywhere, and I heard no noise. The delicate knocking sound I detected when we'd first entered seemed to have died away. As we walked back up the hall, Lockwood gave a little shudder, and I felt the hairs rise on my arms. The air was noticeably colder. Oh. I checked the reading. 48 degrees this time. At the front of the building, there were two squarish rooms. One on either side of the hall. One had a television set, a sofa, two comfy armchairs. Here, the temperature was warmer, back to the level of, back to the, level of the kitchen. We looked and listened anyway, and found nothing. On the opposite side, a formal sitting room contained the usual chairs and cabinets arranged before large net-splathed windows and three enormous ferns and terracotta pots. It seemed a little chilly. Fifty-four degrees showed on the luminous dial, colder than the kitchen. Might mean nothing, might mean a lot. I closed my eyes, composed myself, and prepared to listen. Lucy, look! Lockwood's voice hissed. There's Mr. Hope! My heart jolted. I spun around, rapier half-drawn, only to find Lockwood stopped and casual, peering at a photo on a side, on the, on a side table. He had his flashlight trained on it. The image hung in a little circle of floating gold. Mrs. Hope's here as well, he added. You idiot! I hissed. I might have, I might have run you through! He chuckled. Oh, don't be so grumpy. Take a look. What do you think? It was a gray-haired couple standing in a garden. The woman, Mrs. Hope, was an older, happier version of the daughter we'd met outside, round-faced, neat-clothed, wearing a radiant smile. Her head was level with the chest of the man behind, beside her. He, he was tall and balding, with sloped, rounding shoulders and big, rather cumbersome forearms. He, too, smiled broadly. They're, they were holding hands. Seemed cheerful enough there, don't they? Lockwood said. I nodded dubiously. Got to be a reason for type 2, though. George says type 2 always means some, someone's done something to somebody. Yes, but George has a nasty, gruesome little mind. Which reminds me, we should find the phone and call him. I left a message on the table, but it'll probably be worrying about us. Even so, let's finish off the survey first. He didn't find any death clothes in the little sitting room, and I couldn't hear anything. And that was the ground floor. Done. Which told us what we'd already guessed. What we were looking for was upstairs. Sure enough, the moment I set foot on the lowest step, the knocking began again. At first, it was no louder, 
now louder than it had been before. A, ti a tiny, hollow tap, tap, tapping, like a fingernail on plaster, or nail being hammered into wood. But with every, but with every step I climbed, the echo increased a little, became a little more insistent in my inner ear. I mentioned this to Lockwood, who was treading like a formless shadow at my back. Getting nippier, too, he said. He was right. With every t step, the temperature was dropping, from 48 to 45 to 43. Here, midway up the flight, I paused, sipping up my comb coat with my with fumbling fingers while staring upward into the dark the stairwell was narrow and there was no light above me at all the upper regions of the house were a clot of shadows i had a strong desire to switch my flashlight on but resisted the impulse which would which would only have made me blinder still with one hand on my rapier hilt i continued slowly up the stairs with the knocking growing ever louder and the cold biting at my skin up I went, louder and louder grew the knocking. Now it was a frantic scratching, tapping sound. Lower and lower dropped the t number on the dial, from 43 to 41, and finally to 39. The blackness of the landing was a formless space. On my left, white balusters hung at the head height like a row of giant teeth. I reached the final stair, stepped out onto the landing, and the knocking noises stopped dead. I checked the luminous dial again. 39. 39 degrees. 20, de 20 degrees lower than the kitchen. I could sense my breath pluming in the air. We were very close. Lockwood brushed past me, flicked his flashlight in a brief reconnaissance. Papered walls, closed doors, dead silence. A piece of, piece of embroidery in a heavy frame. Faded colors, childish letters. Home sweet home done years ago when homes were sweet and safe and no one hung iron charms above their children's beds before the problem began before the problem came the landing was l-shaped compromising a small square space in, in which we stood and a long spur running behind us parallel to the stairs it had a polished wooden floor there were five doors leading off one on our right, one straight ahead, and three at intervals along the spur. All the doors were closed. Lockwood and I stood silently, using our ear, using our ear, eyes and ears. Nothing, I said at last. As soon as I got to the top, the knocking noises stopped. Lockwood took a while to speak. No death glows, he said. From the heaviness in his voice, I knew that he too felt malice. That strange sluggishness, that dead weight in the muscles that comes when a visitor is near. He sighed faintly. Well, ladies first, Lucy. Pick a door. Not me. I picked a door in that orphanage case, and you know what happened then. That all turned out fine, didn't it? Only because I ducked. All right, let's take, let's take this one, but you're going in first. I'd chosen the nearest, the one on the right. It turned out to lead to a recently remodeled bathroom. Modern timely gleamed eagerly as the flashlights swept by. There was a big white bathtub, a sink, and a toilet, and also a distant smell of jasmine, of jasmine soap. Neither of us found anything noticeable here, though the temperature was the same as on the landing. Lockwood tried the next door. It opened into a large back bedroom, which had been converted into possibly the messiest study in London. The flashlight beam sh 
flashlight beam showed a heavy wooden desk set beneath a curtain window. The desk was almost invisible under stacks of paper. And further teetering piles were placed, higgledy-piggledy. Higgledy-piggledy all across the room. A row of dark bookshelves, chaotically filled, ran down three-quarters of the far side wall. There were cupboards, an old leather chair beside the desk, and a faintly masculine smell about the room. I tasted aftershave, whiskey, even tobacco. It was bitterly cold now. The dial at my belt showed 36 degrees. I stepped carefully around the paper stacks and pulled apart the curtains, disturbing enough dust to set me coughing. Dim white light from the houses across the garden drifted into the room. Lockwood was looking at an ancient frayed rug on the wooden floor, nudging it to and fro with the toe of his shoe. Old pressure marks, he said. Used to be a bed here before. Mr. Hope took over. He shrugged, surveyed the room. Maybe he's come back to sort his paperwork. This is it, I said. This is where the source is. Look at the temperature. Don't you feel heavy, almost numb? Lockwood nodded. Plus, this is where Mrs. Hope saw her legendary moving shape. A door slammed, loudly, somewhere below us in the house. Both Both of us jumped. I think you were right, Lockwood said. This is the place. We should rig up a circle here. Filings or chains? Oh, filings. Filings will be fine. Are you sure? It's not even nine o'clock, and its power's already strong. Not that strong. Besides, whatever Mr. Hope wants, I can't believe he suddenly turned malevolent. Filings will be more than adequate. He He hesitated. Also, I looked at him. Also what? I forgot to bring the chains. Don't stare at me like that. You do weird things with your eyes. You forgot to bring the chains? Lockwood, George took them out to oil them, and I didn't check that he'd put them back. So it's George's fault, really. Listen, it doesn't matter. We don't need them for a job like this, do we? Get the iron set up while I scan the other rooms. What then we focus here. I had a lot more to say, but now wasn't the time. I took a deep breath. Well, don't get into trouble, I said. Last time you went wandering off during a case, you got yourself locked in the bathroom. A ghost shut me in, I keep telling you. So you claim, but there was not a shred of evidence that... But he was already gone. It didn't take me long to carry out my task. I hauled several stacks of dusty yellow paper to the edges of the room to make space in the center of the floor. Then I pulled the rug aside and scattered the filings in a circle, giving it a fairly small radius so as not to waste the iron. This would be our primary refuge, where we could retreat if necessary, but we might need other circles too, depending on what we found. I went out, in, uh, I went out onto the landing. I'm just, going to, I'm just going down to get more iron. Lockwood's voice echoed from a nearby bedroom. Fine, can you put the kettle on? Yeah, I crossed it crossed to the stairs, glancing at the open bathroom door. When I put my hands on the banister tr- when I put my hands on the banister rail, the wor- the wood was freezing to the touch. I hesitated at top at the top, listening hard, then descended toward the grainy illumination of the hall. A few steps down, I thought I heard a rushing noise behind me, but when I turned back, I saw nothing. 
With my hand on the rapier I held, I turned. I continued to the bottom and walked along the hall to where the kitchen's warm glow shone through a crack in the door. Dim as it was, the lantern light made me screw up my eyes as I went. Screw, screw my eyes up as I went in. Helped myself to a cheeky biscuit, rinsed out the mugs, and put the kettle on again. Then I picked up two, the two duffel bags, and with some difficulty, pried the hall door open with my foot. I moved back into the hall, which, thanks to the bright kitchen, seemed even darker than before. There was no sound in the house. I couldn't hear anything of Lockwood. Presumably he was still scanning the final bedrooms. I climbed the stairs, slowly, from cool to cold to colder, holding the heavy bags awkwardly on either side. I reached the landing and heaved the bags down with a little sigh. When I raised my head to call Lockwood, I saw a girl standing there. 